everyone. Welcome back to JCM Prepare the Way. My name is Carol, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to our series, Israel's Anointing. We are trying to bring you biblical insight into God's heart and purpose for Israel. And today is Episode 7, Hagar and Ishmael, Part 2. Well, one thing that becomes apparent in the Bible is that over time, Abraham's descendants stretched far and wide throughout the Middle East. However, today, for many of them, barriers that are erected in their hearts and minds block them from seeing that the same God of their forefathers cares not just about Israel, but them as well. Even through wars and enmity, he is working to restore and rebuild what's been broken between them through the years. No human government has been able to do this or will be able to fix what is broken there, nor even secure lasting peace in the region. God himself is the one true and eternal solution for their family problems. Until then, the barriers will remain. For example, for some, the issue of Israel triggers real pain and real loss. Many have lost loved ones due to wars between Israel and the surrounding nations. And the loss is on both sides. But since some people perceive that Israel received a better deal when given a state in 1948, Arabs who have suffered loss find it difficult to forgive. And because of this pain, most Muslims living in the Middle East will keep their heart hardened toward the Jews, even though most of them will live and die without ever meeting one Jewish person, despite their geographical proximity to Israel. You see, crossing that border causes many challenges before, during, and after the visit. Most of the surrounding governments don't allow their people to visit Israel, except under certain circumstances. The visas are, diff- the visas are difficult to obtain. If you do end up receiving permission to travel, then security and surveillance issues are to be expected during the visit and for a long time after returning home. Therefore, most people just avoid this hassle altogether and don't even consider a visit. But then you also have a social component that plays a role in the rift. According to reports coming from people who grew up in that area of the world, most people in the Middle East consider the Jews to be the deserving recipients of God's wrath, even though they've never met many of them. In Arabic, the term Jew is derogatory, mostly used to demean others. Former Muslims who are now Christian experience times even when the call to prayer on Fridays were followed by long declarations and prayers asking for God to destroy the Jews. And then lastly, there's a spiritual issue. Most feuds, ethnic, economical, national, etc., go back to some historic conflict. Well, for the Arabs and Jews, There's a deep spiritual wound that goes all the way back to the conflict between Isaac and Ishmael in the Bible. And with Bible teachers in the Middle East right now and in the West, teaching that the church has totally replaced Israel, well, that's not helping. Because then in their mind, there is really no special place or calling that exists on Israel today. So the conflict between the two is deep. And again, only something God can fix. So again, as a church, we need to pray and ask him to give us understanding. It's paramount on how we respond and pray. Now, as I mentioned in the last episode, 
When looking at other religions theologically or apologetically, we must also keep in mind the historical context in which the religion emerges. And this is not only true for Judaism and Christianity, but also for the Arabs. Who were the Arabs before the religion of Islam and the term Muslim was established? which didn't come until the early 7th century, by the way, hundreds of years after Christ. We cannot look at what is unfolding today with a discerning eye if we are only looking at it through the lens of the Middle East shrouded in Islam. We must ask ourselves, who were the Arabs in pre-Islamic Arabia? And the only way that we can begin to answer that question is through the historical context of the Bible. No other book can show the origins of Judaism, Christianity, or the Arab world. There are Muslim scholarly books written in the 9th century, along with ancient poetry that's been discovered in regions of Arabia and Persia, both of which provide some insight into the culture and methods of worship at those times. There are also archaeological discoveries of rock inscriptions in Arabia, for example, which also give first-hand accounts of culture and tradition and religion. But besides that, there is no other historical record that can trace the origins of all three faiths, except the Bible, whose ancient manuscripts vastly outnumber other historical records of ancient antiquity. So it's important for us to have the proper context when trying to discern the real struggle of the Middle East. And the story of Hagar and Ishmael is a key piece to that puzzle, and a catalyst in the forming of one of the second largest religions of the world. Now, we left off with Hagar running away from her mistress, Sarah, not just physically, but also from her duty as a bondservant of Sarah's. And then not only that, she ran away from the privileges and protection that she had being part of Abraham's family until God stopped her. And when he stopped her, He gave her a number of remarkable prophecies regarding her life and the life of her unborn child. To recap, God promised Hagar that he would multiply her seed exceedingly. She would give birth to a son and was to call him Ishmael, whose name means God hears. Ishmael would be a wild man and his hand would be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. Genesis 16. And although this prophecy is important, something else was occurring in that moment at the same time. Through this one meeting between God and Hagar, he transformed not only her heart, but her destiny forever. Most certainly she would have known about the God of Abraham, but now that same God became personal to her, so personal that she could see the one who sees which is what she called him. You are the God who sees. And in Hebrew, that means his name is El Roy. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Hagar had a revelation of who God is and named him accordingly, becoming the first person in the Bible to give God a new name. And I find that interesting that the first time he not only manifests his presence as an angel of the Lord, but is also given a new name, is through a slave woman from Egypt. 
So Hagar returned to her mistress as God commanded and gave birth to Ishmael. And the Bible picks up this story then years later when Abraham is now 99 years old and Ishmael is 13. And at this time, God gives Abraham the covenant of circumcision as discussed in the last episode and confirms to Abraham the promise that Sarah will conceive at the age of 90. And that's in Genesis 17, 15 to 16. For years, Abraham had believed and waited that one day he would become the father of a son who would found the nation of promise, even taking matters into their own hands at one point when he and Sarah tried to force the promise through an illegitimate heir. But now God's timing for the true heir was finally here. And yet, in his joy and excitement, Abraham thought of his son Ishmael and says to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Genesis 17:18 which shows Abraham's love for his son Ishmael and his desire that in some tangible way maybe God would include him in the promise but God said no his covenant would come through Sarah and their son Isaac an everlasting covenant and one that would be passed on with his descendants after him and God is true to his word as a reminder What he promised Noah from episode 4 would come to pass. Noah's son Shem, whose line Abraham would come, was a blessed lineage because they were a people who called on the name of the Lord. And the descendants of his other son Ham were cursed and as such would become a servant to Shem's lineage, a lineage which is now Abraham's lineage and eventually Isaac's lineage, and eventually becoming the lineage of not only the Jewish nation of Israel, but the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the line of Ham, which was destined to be the servant, would become a servant to Abraham, as part of Ham's territory was Egypt, where many years later, a slave girl named Hagar would grow up and give birth to Ishmael, who one day would unknowingly serve his brethren in such a way to preserve that seed of promise, Jesus Christ, which we haven't gotten to that part yet. So God is at work here, all the way back from the time of Noah, in a deeper way than we can imagine. God heard Abraham's plea for his son Ishmael, and as such, blessed Ishmael. And that's important. He said he would make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly and that he would beget 12 princes and become a great nation. Genesis 17, 20. So God blessed Ishmael through Hagar before he was born and then again here where he renewed and amplified the blessing. Just as the Hebrew people through Isaac's son Jacob would have 12 sons and eventually 12 tribes, so too now would Ishmael have 12 sons, making up his tribes. God's promise to Abraham came to pass. Sarah did conceive and give birth to a miracle son, Isaac, whose birth caused a massive shift in the family dynamics. For 14 years, Sarah and Abraham raised Ishmael as their son. But now that Isaac was around, 
Sarah grew irritated with the, quote, bond woman's son, end quote, as she called him, especially after she caught Ishmael scoffing at Isaac. And so she wanted him out of her house, putting Abraham in a very difficult situation. But God told Abraham to do as Sarah asked because he was going to bless both seeds. So in the morning, Abraham took bread and a skin of water, put it on Hagar's shoulder, and sent them away. Now imagine, for just a moment, being a 14-year-old boy, dearly loved by your father, but then waking up one morning to have your father give you some bread and water and send you away from his presence. Overnight, Hagar and Ishmael's lives changed forever. What thoughts would have been going through Ishmael's mind, I wonder? Was it traumatic for him? Did he feel betrayed, abandoned, confused? What was the level of pain in Ishmael's heart, if any? Have you ever stopped to think about that? At 14 years old, he had to leave the only home he's ever known. A large family, friends, not to mention leaving the safety and blessing of his father's tent. Abraham's decision to send his son away must have broken Ishmael's heart. And if so, what kind of father wound did that create? And not only that, what kind of emotions did it create towards his younger brother, Isaac? The intensity of the wilderness almost destroyed the mother and son. With water dried up and the desert heat bearing down, they were on the verge of death. The thought of losing her son was too much for Hagar to bear, so she left him under a desert shrub to die and sat a short distance away so she wouldn't have to watch it. And then she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard. Only the Bible doesn't say he heard Hagar, but Ishmael, whose name means God hears. Yet the Bible doesn't record Ishmael speaking, but God still heard him. I always wonder, what was Ishmael saying in that moment as death was going to overtake him? That's not recorded. More than likely, was he crying out to the God of his father Abraham and the God of his mother, the God who sees? Either way, God heard him and saw them once again and spoke again to Hagar, Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Genesis 21 He opened Hagar's eyes to see a well before them where they could get refreshed. And after that, the Bible says, God was with Ishmael, and he grew. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and he became a hunter, an archer. And Hagar found him a wife from Egypt. Ishmael is still part of the covenant, being part of the circumcision. He knows who the God of his father is and the God of his mother. And with that, he left and settled in the area we know as the Sinai Peninsula in the western area of Saudi Arabia an area where thousands years later, a prophet would arise laying claim to a new religion, a religion that would become the driving force of Ishmael's descendants. 
Ishmael had 12 sons, and these sons eventually took wives, had children, and through these children, tribes were formed. And these tribes made up the nations that dwelt from Havilah to Shur, Genesis 25, which is essentially Arabia to Mesopotamia, and they became known as Ishmaelites. In our next episode, we are going to try to take a brief look at the Ishmaelites, a a people who became known later as Arabs, and then also what pre-Islamic Arabia looked like from a historical, social, and religious context before the 7th century when Islam was formed. Perhaps what we see unfolding today is in some part a manifestation of that ancient wound that was opened in Ishmael's heart thousands of years ago. A wound that was carried, has carried itself, into the religion of Islam, even manifesting in one of its five pillars, which are the five duties of every Muslim, with one of its key pillars denying the fatherhood of God and any need of a son. Thank you for joining us today. I just want to mention that if you do like our podcast, please give us a rating. It helps further our reach when, uh, and we would really appreciate that. Also, if you are on our mailing list and you are waiting for emails in order to watch or hear episodes, uh, please know that you can subscribe to the podcast um, through a podcast channel or through our hosting platform, Podbean, and then you can receive notifications on when new episodes are released. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, God bless you. Thank you.